Okay, I want to tell you a story. I promised I would tell you a story last week, and I forgot to do it. Um, second oldest grandson was about two and a half or three. He was potty trained, but not always real good about stopping in the midst of play to take care of necessities. They were at friends' houses. Amy specifically asked, oh, come on in. She specifically asked, well, Will, do you need to go potty? No, 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 I'm fine. I mean, it's not 10 minutes till he is a mess. There is poop all over his clothes. It's all over the trampoline. Fortunately, they are at friends' houses who also have young children who understand. She picks him up and takes him to the bathroom and strips him down. Now, I want you to imagine this stark naked two, year, two or three-year-old, um, and she's not happy about it, and she is in his face telling him that he should have told her and that he did not obey her. And he's hard enough. And that's what he does. And she's telling me about it. And she is so, she's still mad about it. And I laughed. So I was the dismissing, emotionally intelligent parent. I wasn't the emotional coach. I should have said something like, I get it, that's frustrating. I was dismissing. I laughed. You don't have anything to be worried about. He's two. He got tired of hearing you. Yes, he was defiant. Yes, he was disrespectful. But I didn't hear her feelings, okay? This week, um, 15-year-old grandson, and I think he knew I might do that because he said, Grandma, I know that this is the right thing to do, but, and then he elaborated on how frustrated he was with the situation. He knew it was happening because it was right, but it did have frustrating consequences to him. It had to do with winning, and he likes to win really badly. And, and so he, in effect, was saying, don't dismiss, and I didn't. I said, I hear that. I know that this is hard for you to handle. And really, I think after I could hear it, he was ready to move on, okay? This is not saying that his feelings, that it's okay not to be empathetic. But as empathetic as I am with people, that doesn't mean that their needs don't still inconvenience me. And this is just hearing that. I, one of the things that my children have said they wished I had done different, and they're right. They would get in the car and they would be complaining about a teacher. Now, please understand, we live in the academic world. Everybody in our, my husband and I, that's the world we live in. So I am immediately taking up for the teacher. Well, yeah, that might not have been fair, but you know, they, they're really busy or they might have been tired. I mean, I'm defending that teacher. And they said to me later, Mother, all you had to say was, I'm sorry, that was hard. And I wished I had said that and meant it and listened, and then we could have moved on, perhaps to something that would teach them about empathizing with where the teacher's coming from. But I didn't hear them first, okay? This is not saying that any reaction is okay, but this is saying let's hear it. Let's get the, let it get it out there where we can deal with it. Okay, let's move on. We talked about that the Bible, 
We talked about emotional coaching, being aware, helping, realizing that this is an opportunity where you can teach, where you can understand, where you can validate the child's feelings. Then we talked about self-esteem, and I kind of went on a rant about self-esteem because I had seen that concept so abused. We talked about children being loved, and this very powerful message that you have. You not only have the message of I love you, but God of the heavens, of ultimate power, that God loves you. And I'll be honest, I don't think I don't think any of us can hear this too much. I need to hear it every day. Okay, but just like God's love is unconditional, we try to love unconditionally. But I want to take the guilt away because sometimes you don't like them very much. Okay, and too But it does mean that we will try to seek our children's good. And talking about how a child knows that his parents love him. We also talked about that maybe love was not enough because there's a generation me that's pretty miserable. They have been loved and adored and they go out into the world and think everything's going to be wonderful and perfect and it's not. And some of them collapse in the world. If you're going to give your child self-esteem, you've got to help him earn competency and you can't give it to him. You're going to have to let it happen. I think I've twisted this scripture. I don't think this scripture is really quite what I'm making it to say. I'll own that. But I love the word equip because I think that's what we are to do. We are to empower. We are to give the opportunity. We are to equip our children to handle everything. We talked about mothers that were controlling as opposed to mothers who valued their children's independence and facilitated that and the result of even as early as infancy, show a difference. Come in, it's funny, see. Um, when you continue to do something for your child that he can do for himself, you rob him of the opportunity to learn. Um, some 30 years ago, no, not quite that long, some 25 years ago, perhaps, um, we had a delightful second grader. He was just as cute as he could be, just as sweet as he could be, but he just didn't seem to be doing very well in school. He seemed plenty bright, but he didn't seem very focused and just kind of, you know, happy, but not kind of getting into anything. And the mother was concerned, and with our encouragement, she spoke to the pediatrician, and they did some psychological testing, and she came back in to share the testing with me, and she said, the pediatrician says he has SC syndrome. Well, I thought I was reasonably well informed, but I had never heard of SC syndrome. She grinned just a little bit. Spoiled child. <laughs> um, this baby was conceived probably 30 years ago when in vitro was very early and even more expensive than it is now. And I suspect truly this was a $100,000 baby because they had had to go out of state for all of it. They just adored. Now, I'm not saying that we, I didn't adore my children, but I don't think I had the same, I think I, in spite of some fertility issues, I think I took my children for granted in ways that this mother didn't. But I'm telling you this story because she heard what the pediatrician said. She heard it. 
and she wanted what was best for her child badly enough to rein in her need to just shower him with all things enough to let him develop some competency and some skill and he did and so I would suggest to you that parenting is a constant series of adjustments that I determined that I'm too strict about this and I correct and oh, I went a little bit too far and I'm not quite strict enough and I'm going to correct this that it's not like I've got this path and I'm going to get it just perfect I'm not but if you don't like something about what you've done about what you're seeing in your children and you may not have done it it may be just who they are I had one that was just wired with a temper but I still got to work with that and I've got to constantly correct and adjust. Okay, then we talked about um, perception that a child has, and I don't, I don't want to spend too much time, but these are perceptions that we want our children to have, that they are capable, that they can contribute in meaningful ways, that they can influence what happened to them. We had a 13-year-old um, foster girl that lived with us for a while, she wasn't the best of students, bless her heart. I don't think that had ever been encouraged or helped in her home. But she thought that the math, she got a low grade in math. When she was in seventh grade, she didn't know a multiplication fact. That's not a huge surprise to me that she got a low grade. But you know what? She thought she got a low grade because math teacher just doesn't like me. And I think she really thought that. I think she didn't understand that she could influence that math grade. Now that's rather ridiculous, but I do think the idea that the child believes that I can influence, I can make a difference in what happens in my life is enormously important. And these are other skills. Understanding emotion, social uh, self-control, getting along with others. Um, how do I handle limits and consequences? And again, these are things, some of you, many of you have two and three-year-olds and you're thinking, use his wisdom to evaluate situations with appropriate values. But that is what's involved when you teach him that he can't knock down sister's block tower just because he, he's decided he's ready to build it. That has to do with wisdom and situation and appropriate values because we value sister and we value her feelings. And this is active teaching. This doesn't just happen because they get older. It happens because we've talked. Okay, now how do these perceptions that I'm capable, that I'm competent, that I can use wisdom, that I can deal with interpersonal relations, how do they develop? From our actual experiences and then how we label those experiences. Now, one of the things that I'm committed to as a grandmother is trying to give my grandchildren, frankly, some experiences that I know that their parents can't afford to give them. So we've had some trips because I want them to see some things. I want them to do some things. I want them to know, I want them to know how to go to a very nice restaurant and order. We don't do that every time we're together. But occasionally we do that because I want them to have some experiences that prepare them for the world they'll live in. But it is just as important 
as we look at how do we label experiences. Now, that means, and we live in such an academic world, I'm gonna use that. That means when I bring a grade home, how do I label that B? not good enough or <laughs> in primary art that's okay do you see the difference um, does the child see this as a learning curve I love that expression does he see this as a learning curve yeah I can't do this yet but I can does he expect to ride the bike the first time he tries it without the training wheels? If he labels the fact that he can't ride it more than three feet the first time as I'm clumsy, that's one message. If he labels it, hey, I'm trying, I'm on this, I'm doing it. Didn't do good for that very far that time. We, one family vacation, we, were on a, on a river where we could water ski. And among those of the grandchildren that were old enough to water ski, there was a considerable difference in their skill level. A couple of them had had some previous experience. One, had, two had not. And frankly, they're not as good athletes. So it was really interesting to see how they labeled that. And I was thrilled because one of the ones that, frankly, not the best athlete could say, no, I didn't do really great, but I got better every day. Isn't that wonderful? See how the labeling <coughs> makes a difference? Um, a phrase that I love, and I use it <coughs> excessively, when I'm introducing a child to something, is to say, this may be pretty hard, but I think you might can do it. Let's see. Now, you may read that, well, I'm labeling that they're not going to be able to do it. I'm, you know, I'm putting them down. I'm trying to do just the opposite. I'm trying to make it safe to try, even if we're not completely successful. And I'm also trying to buy myself a little bit. Maybe I think that this is age appropriate. Maybe I expect that they, I do, I mean, obviously I'm not gonna give it to them if I don't think they can do it, but maybe I'm wrong. So if I'm wrong, I can back away a little bit. And then if they can do something, wow, that's pretty hard. I wasn't sure you could do that, but you did. Do, do you see where I'm coming from on this? It's hard to see our children struggle, see them disappointed, to watch them deal with her behavior. But when we reduce our discomfort by intervening and protecting them, we're protecting our feelings. That's selfish. Um, the mother I told you about that wanted me to exempt her child from the memory work that every other fourth grader did. She just didn't want to see him have to work so hard. It made her sad that his life was a little hard. But to ease her sadness, she's 
exempting him from something he's capable of doing. That's that same emotional thing. I think we tend to dismiss other feelings because it's painful for us to share those feelings. I was with Catherine Broadway earlier this week and she teared up when she talked about, I don't know, I don't know kind of how things are gonna be. She's in a, in a tough place right now. I don't know if I'm ever gonna feel better than I do right now. Everything in me says, don't cry. It, it'll be okay. But isn't that basically my discomfort sitting beside her? I love her, I'd like to fix this. I hate to see her sad. But I think it's dismissive if I say, well, of course you're gonna be better. I don't know that. So I think what I need to do is sit and hold her hand. And maybe I cry too. But that, that doesn't feel good. That hurts for someone we love. But I think parenting means we're willing to hurt rather than do something that's not in the best interest of the child. Okay, what do we do that interferes with the child gaining confidence from their experiences? Well, expecting failure. I knew you couldn't do that. I'm, I'm not surprised. I told you you shouldn't try that. And there are clearly some things that children try that we need to tell them that they shouldn't try. I'm not saying that. But expecting the worst and rescuing. What kind of rescuing have you seen or have you done? If none of you have ever rescued, we will move on. Uh, when I need the task to be done faster than it's being done, and so I'll just finish it. Oh, and that's such a hard one. That is such a hard one. Have you taken the lunchbox to school? My policy was that I would only take their lunch as often as I was willing to take their father's lunch, which wasn't very often. <laughs> um, Cole played football and had it when they're younger, they, when they're older, they get a locker and they don't have to do this every week. But when they're younger, they have to transport all of the helmet and the pads and the whole shindig in this big, huge sack back and forth. And it was his job to pack it. And I would pick him up and give him a snack and then 45 minutes later take him to the field. Well, my suggestion was get in there, be sure you got everything. If you don't, I've got time to go get it. But if you wait until just before you go and you don't have something, I can't help you. You know where this is going. Oh, it's okay, Grandma, I got it. And then he digs it out. And the pants aren't there. You know, the padded things that they have to wear. Well, so we, you know, the first time it happened, I called his dad. Again, I'm rescuing. I called his dad. Oh, so-and-so, our friends has an extra pair. We can get them, I'll get them there. So I say to Cole the next time, Cole, it would be smart to pull everything out of the sack and be sure it's all there. No, no, Grant, I've got it. So I hushed. And two weeks later, it wasn't there. And there was no, friends weren't home, there was no way to rescue. And so he shows up at practice in his school shorts, which means he can't actually practice. He's mortified. 
But you know what? It didn't happen for me. I hate it, but it's what needed to happen. Probably should have happened the first time, not the second time. I understand that many college deans don't want to answer their phone the first week of class because so many mamas are calling to solve roommate problems. I'm not kidding. I think this is a very, very big issue. Directing every step. That means I'm going to tell him every piece. Of, let me tell you, women, husbands don't like this either. Okay. Um, they want to do it their way. And if they're going to own it, that may be appropriate. Um, I'll tell you something that I wished I had done more of. Um, we're ready to go. Do you have your lunchbox? Do you have your backpack? Do you have your jacket? I wish I had said, what do you think you better get to take? Let's let them think, oh, I need a lunchbox. I need a jacket. Not that you can't help with the process until they've got it, but just their thinking about what needs to be carried along makes it more likely that they'll do it next time. Make sense? Okay. Ugh. Interferes with children gaining confidence. A threatening atmosphere. Too much pressure. You know what? I bet every one of us are here sometimes. You're achievers. I don't know all of you well, but I'll be willing to bet that 90% of you are high-achieving people. And we want our kids to be high achieving. And that's not, there's nothing wrong with wanting our kids to be high achieving. But do we make it safe to fail? Um, I was accused a little bit of this by my middle guys this week. Because you can tell him to put on his shoes an hour before you're going to go. He might not, probably doesn't have to walk by the time it's time to go. But he only hears me for the last 20 minutes that I'm saying putting on your shoes. Mom, you're just flushing. You flush me so much. <laughs> and so I'm not trying to create a threatening atmosphere. But then again, we you can't go to school without the shoes on, I don't think. <laughs> and I don't know that he'd care if I brought him to school without his shoes on. He may not, and that's <laughs> that is an issue. If they don't care, then you can't use the natural consequence. Yeah. <coughs> and only because I know Rachel well can I afford to say this, <coughs> but if you told him an hour earlier and he didn't do it, either don't tell him or follow or follow through. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Because we're teaching him that you don't have to do it the first time Mama says. Now, I am married to a person who is unable to rush. I'm very serious, but I have seen him try to rush on two occasions. We've been married 50 years. One of them was even before we married. And he got so flustered and angry. It's really the only time I've ever seen him angry. Um, he just doesn't have an anger button. He's got his faults, but anger is not one of them. Um, he can't do it. Now, as an adult, he has learned to order his life so that he doesn't have to. Not only can he not do it, he doesn't want to do it. There are just no occasions that he thinks rushing is worth it. But he has ordered his life. But a five-year-old can't be expected to do that. 
I'm ju I guess I'm okay if he's like that as long as he does if he like but it's going to be your job to help him order that okay. so like getting up and making sure he has his shoes on before breakfast exactly exactly I, and it's not, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a carrot at the end of the stick so if you've gotten your shoes on and if you've gotten all your things together and if you've had breakfast and if you've brushed your teeth, then you can have 10 minutes of video or you can have 10 minutes of playing with blocks. He's just getting totally bogged down in each step to the point where he's lost track of time. Then he's not, he's not ready to do four steps. Okay. He's ready to do one step and report back. But your goal is going to be, by the time he's 80 years old, like my husband, that he's, that he's got all these steps under control. Um, I know you're not there yet, but I have some real, many of you are not, some of you have old kids. I have some real apprehension about the pressure that I see in our very middle and upper class society. We want them to be the best athlete. We want them to be the most popular. We want them to make the best grades. We want them to be artistic. Um, I, and I'm guilty. I, 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 I need to be honest about this. Like I said, we live in an academic world. I like high scores and I like good grades. But I think we need to be very careful about too much pressure. What, what are we doing early on that's setting ourselves up? It's yeah, a really good question. Um, I think maybe what we're doing, uh, let me speak for myself, is what goes on in my head. Um, I was never as popular as I wanted to be. I wasn't an outcast, but I wasn't a part of that cool group uh, you know, in high school, and, and um, I I remember thinking that I was going to be more proactive about helping my children be popular, and as if that's something you can teach in the first place, and as if that's something that's valuable. Is that something that you talk about right now? Who's the most popular in your peer group? No, popularity exists pretty much in middle school and high school. But I brought that baggage with me. And I think it was still in my head as I was beginning to raise my children. Maybe it's still in my head. I'm not sure I've completely exercised that. I think to a certain extent, too, some of it is that we both work in high school, so we are around that a lot. And it is, um, it comes from a desire to keep your children safe. Because in some ways, whether it is the good grades or the popularity or the success in something, then it keeps your child from negative experiences. Yes, that's a right way to express it. Or it keeps yes. your child from struggling. And so sometimes it's not necessarily this drive to be the best as much as it is trying to get her. But if you do this, then things will go well. And it's just kind of that thing where you're talking about where you, when you're sitting with someone, and sometimes you just have to sit with someone through something hard. Um, and so sometimes that push to be the best is because you don't necessarily want to sit through the struggle of. The, the friend drama or the, you know, sitting, not being able to sit at the right table or the the C's or whatever. Well, and I really like your choice of words about keeping our children safe. I, maybe that, that's even something as your children get over that we, that we more intentionally communicate that this is not 
I want you to get the good grade because, you know, you're on the auto roll and I want one of those stickers on the back of my car. I really don't know for sure if I think those stickers on the back of the car <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I'm proud to keep my kids when they've done well, but I, I, I do think there's some concern about that. Um, but I want this for you because it seems to me these are things that will make it easier for you in life. I think those are two different messages. Um, and I, I just, I, I think we've got to be really careful. Um, I'm not sure I've answered your question, no, I Logan. Think that, uh, I think that was helpful because I, I know I see it among parents that have uh, children older than mine. Uh, and I see it enough to know that I'd like to not go there, but I just had a hunch that it's starting early on. I, I do think it starts very early. But I, I also think, and this is one of the reasons that I want you all to get to know each other and other families here at church, I think the community that we live in, and I'm talking about not just that we live in Brentwood or Franklin or Nashville, but the people that we associate with makes a huge difference in how we see some of these issues. So if my best friends are the ones that are pushing and he's going to be, I cannot tell you how many parents have sat in my office when I am an elementary school principal and they're probably enrolling a kindergartner and they tell me, I really want him to be the valedictorian when he graduates from high school. I am not kidding you. I am not kidding you. So think of the pressure that's there for that child. Uh, so yeah, let's hold each other accountable when we're saying things that may be are meeting our own ego needs. Okay. Encourage the child to talk about her feelings. Is she falling, labeling falling down as clumsy or part of learning to skate? That's the reason I love that term, learning curve. And you may be surprised to find your feelings are different than you anticipate. Remember, I guess this is clear evidence that I had not quite gotten rid of the fact that I want to be more popular. I picked up Claire from elementary school one Friday afternoon and there are two big vans, suburbans or whatever, in front of me. And about eight little girls come popping out of the fourth grade, which she is in. I recognize some of them as kids that she knows. They clearly have their uh, overnight bags. They're clearly going to a slumber party. And like I said, this is not one or two, but maybe seven or eight girls. And she's seeing all this. And She's such a lovely child in the first place. Why wasn't she invited? But, you know, I'm sure she's feeling badly about this. She's feeling left out. And so I even say something about, oh, um, maybe I say, how do you feel? Or does it feel bad? Oh, no, Grandma, you can't get invited to every birthday party. They're not my very best friends. No, she was fine. Who's got the problem? <laughs> So I, I, I will caution you about listening um, to your child. Maybe you are devastated that he got cut from the baseball team. But maybe he's, yeah, yeah, I'm disappointed. Maybe it's not as important to him as it is to us. Just be careful. Okay. How does a child come to feel significant? They gain a sense of dignity when they become the helper. I cannot tell you how important I think that is. And it can be little bitty, um, but I, something that they can do, that they can contribute. And when we do too much, we make them feel helpless. Okay. Praise frequently. 
I don't think there's enough encouragement in the world. I don't think there's enough praise in the world. But, appropriately, if you tell your child, and I got him on a rant about this a couple of weeks ago, that he can do anything, you might be setting him up for something that's not fair. Want to share? Sure. You comfortable? We had a yeah. great conversation last week, and yeah. I asked Matt if he would share a little bit. Yeah, you may stand up. Or... Whatever you feel comfortable with. Well, I mean, do you want to do like a question and answer? Well, tell us, you have some strong feelings about this from your own experience. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, and, it, and they're valid. It's a wonderful observation. Well, I didn't even realize it until you said something a week ago, and I could kind of put a voice you to You put it together very quickly. But uh, no one here knows my family, so it's great. So I won't ever get back to my parents. <laughs> okay, why don't we turn it off the microphone? No, 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 no just kidding. No, it's fine. So, no, like, um, I'm the, the youngest of, of four, and um, I kind of had the ability to look what all my brothers and sisters did talent-wise, and I kind of became the culmination of all the things that they were good at. My oldest brother is really smart and um, very intellectual, and so I gleaned some of that. And my other brother is very athletic, and I gleaned some of that. My sister was popular and social butterfly, and I gleaned some, I, you know, kind of... I got, I, got, I got all of it. And so along the line, my mom was like, Matt, you can, you can do you know, anything. You can just do anything. And so high school and middle school was actually really easy for me. Everything I touched, I'm not kidding, everything I touched, I was the best at. Because I just believed that gumption and energy and charisma uh, could get me through most anything. And no, we weren't uh, like an ac academic family. We weren't like, you have to make straight A's kind of thing. But it was more about, if you try it, you better be the best kind of thing. And in high school and in middle school, that's actually pretty easy. I, I could get the lead part in the plays. I could, you know, be the best in band. I could be the best pianist. I, mean, I was good at piano and all that stuff. Uh, but that was something that was drilled on my head. You know, you can do anything. You can do anything. You can do anything. Um, and then the real world hit where I went to college, and it was extremely frustrating. Where I'm dealing with people who are actually really, really good at a lot of different things. <laughs> and, and it was extremely frustrating to be at the bottom. Um, and I was like, well, maybe, maybe it's just college. And so that actually prompted me to go get my master's. Like, oh, I, you know what? I don't have enough education. I got to get my master's. I went ahead and got my master's right away, out of, uh, right after my undergrad, thinking, OK, now I'm ready. Now I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be the best. I hit the business world, and I'm at the bottom of every single thing that I try. Um, I've always been told I'd be a good, a good salesperson. Matt, you're good at talking. You're going to be such a good salesperson. I, I'm not. It turns out after five years, I'm not getting five years of failing at sales, being at the bottom of every stack ranking, did I realize that I am not a good salesperson. <laughs> I'm not. I, I can explain things. I can talk in front of people. But I'm terrible at trying to convince people to buy things. I don't like doing that. Whole, but I was having panic attacks working for Northwestern Mutual as, a, as an insurance salesman. I'm struggling to talk to people on the phone, strangers, you know, my hands are shaking and I'm banging my head, literally banging my head against the wall sometimes going, this is ridiculous. I'm trying to get these people to buy things from me, not doing it. My bosses are coming down on me. I feel like a, I feel like a complete idiot. I got kids who are coming out of college three years younger before you're joining me who, who are making their sales numbers. I'm not doing it. And I don't understand why. Why is this not working for me? I can do it. I know I can. I'm, I'm a winner. I do this. I, I, I can be the best. I'm talkative. <laughs> And I, I could not understand why I was failing until, honestly, if you haven't done the Enneagram, oh my gosh, it'll solve so many of the things. It'll detangle the ball of yarn, all these expectations that were pushed upon, pushed upon you when you were a kid. It'll un, un, untangle this thing and help you understand how you really are on the inside. 
and get rid of the, the, the external um, things that are pushed on you. Anyways, that helps me overcome that is, is the Enneagram. Really help me understand who I really am and things that I really want. It helps set aside the things that were pushed on me and the weight that was on my shoulders. But yeah, it took me years, years of failing to understand why it was that I was, I was so frustrated and having panic attacks. And, anyway, it's great. But it was that message. You can accomplish anything. You can do it. Now, I understand the sentiment that Drew Brees was trying to say. If you work hard enough, you can do it. But I think the more poignant message is if you work hard enough, something that uh, you're dedicated towards and you find, find something you love, find something you are good at, and then work hard. But it's not as everything in, e- in everything in life will come easy if you just apply yourself, and that's that's not true. It's not true, and frankly, you are, must be a very strong personality to be able to go through that experience and be insightful and whole about it. I'm going to be there are a lot of people that don't get through that that they get down on themselves and they quit, and then it's kind of a spiral down. Yeah. But I think the point that we want to make is that there has to be something realistic and appropriate about the ways that we encourage our children. I can encourage, you can encourage me all day, I'm never gonna like athletics. I love to watch it, but please don't ask me to get out there and get sweaty. I don't like to do any of that. Um, I, I, I just, it's, I don't have that gift. I'm not strong, I'm not fast, I'm not quick. Yes, I need to exercise, I don't that. Um, but I, I just think you've got to be careful that we don't create for our children some kind of realistic expectation. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. I have a question for you. Sure. That's okay. Um, along this line of thinking, I, and it is a, a common theme, I keep hearing, um, if you're going to start something, you have to finish it. How do you, how do you feel like that plays okay. into what we're talking about? Okay. I, I do think, I think there's something to be said for that. Um, in the short term, I think that's right. Um, please remember, I'm not athletic, nor is my husband. Our oldest daughter, who is the teeniest child, I mean, at, at almost 50, she's still five foot under 100 pounds, could pass for 25. She comes in and she wants to play softball. She barely leaves the cutoff. I know she's going to be playing against children who are literally a foot taller than she is. She wants to play softball. Softball? Really? Well, yeah, I'm going to do it now. This is the form and this is what I want to do. And so we agreed that if we signed up, she would see it out one season. We didn't commit to the rest of her life. Now, I would, if we had had, I think there's some exceptions, if we had had an abusive coach, if we had had, you know, some kind of, uh, but I do think it's legitimate to say, if we're gonna do this, if we're gonna buy the instrument for band, you're gonna try it, whatever you decide is good, six months or a year. I think there's something to be said for that. Sure. Well, the reason I ask is, because yeah, um, I had a lot of interest. All I do is a lot of different things, and there was kind of a, and there's this expectation that if we're going to try something, you need you need to push yourself to do the absolute best you can. Um, and a lot of times, I, you know, you think kids, you know, every kid wants to do karate or something like that. I got to do karate, but in the expectation in your mind as a kid, oh, that looks cool on TV. I want to do karate. But then you get in karate is actually just a lot of discipline and practice, very <laughs> regimented, and you start doing these these lessons. It's not that great. Um, but now you hate it, and so now your parents are making you do something that you absolutely hate, and you can't get out of it. So I, I, I don't know. There's a, like resentment that builds up, and also the the, the thing that well, I, I, I have, there's is there virtue in just sticking it out even though you hate it? I don't know. I'll sit I down think there's a little virtue in sticking it out for a while. I do. That's that's my bias. Uh, I think there are limits on that, and I would be very hesitant. I would be very hesitant to 
prescribe that for something that was my idea, maybe. I won't think about that a lot. But especially for something the child wanted to do, I think it's value. I think it's worth it to say we're going to see a little of this through. I, I think there's something about pushing through when things get a little hard sure. that they need some experience doing. I'll, let, I'll tie this into my, my adult because I stuck with jobs too long. Yes. Going well, I'm a failure if I quit, even though I'm not good at it and I hate it. I'm a failure if I quit. And that, that's kind of the. Oh, okay. So, so would there not be a learning experience though in saying we're going to, yeah, you're going to commit to. Oh, let me give you a good example. My, my son played soft, uh, baseball, and one year, I can't remember the, I think he wasn't going to play, and then a, a friend in the neighborhood wanted to field a team and talked him into it, and it was miserable. I, I will give you, it was miserable. They got all the kids that hadn't already, who weren't real intentional about it, hadn't already signed up. They were horrible, and the coach didn't know anything about it either. I mean, it was, it was, it was awful. But somehow, it didn't seem right to back out because it got hard. And did he like it? No, he hated it. But I think there's some value. Would, he, would we have committed to doing that every summer? No. But I said, you can, I think you can hang in there for another five weeks. And maybe we'll get ice cream really often after the game. <laughs> I, I, I'm more on the, on the try it. And if you, um, because I feel like sometimes, because we don't immediately succeed, sometimes we say, well, then I'm out. But maybe if it's really something you desire, you just need it to rely and you need to practice because you don't. You don't know. And, and, and life is hard. I mean, I don't want them quitting a, a program two weeks in because it got hard. Now, do we need to say it's okay at some point to say this is not my thing? I can't do this very well. And I'm, this is a much older thing, but I have a very vivid memory of my son, um, and he's probably, I guess he's beginning of his junior year in college, and he's decided he wants to go to med school. And he's looking at taking those awful tests. And he says, what if I don't do well enough to get in? I don't think it's appropriate for me to say, well, of course you're going to get in. I thought he would, but I don't know that. And I don't want him to think that life is over if he doesn't get in. And so we talked about, well, I think you'll probably be getting in, but it's not ever bad to have a backup plan. And we talked, he talked about what the backup plan might be. I think there's something freeing in that. It's okay if he doesn't. If that's what he wants to do and he wants to try hard, great, go for it. But his value to me is not tied into him getting into any particular program. Does that make sense? So I think, again, kind of realism. Okay, we'll pick up here next week. Thank you.